I want us to look here in Job chapter number 1 and uh, verse number 1. There was a man in the land of us whose name was Job. And the man was perfect and upright and one that feared God and eschewed evil or avoided evil. Uh, there were born unto him seven sons and three daughters. His substance also was 7,000 sheep, 3,000 camels, 500 yoke of oxen, 500 she-asses, and a very great household, so that this man was the greatest of all the men of the east. His sons went and feasted in their houses everyone his day and sent and called for their three sisters to eat and drink with them. And it was so when the days of their feasting were gone about that Job sent and sanctified them, rose up early in the morning, offered burnt offerings according to the number of them all. For Job said, It may be that my sons have sinned and cursed God in their hearts. Thus did Job continually. Now there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan also came among them. The Lord said unto Satan, Whence comest thou? And then Satan answered the Lord and said, From going to and fro in the earth, from walking up and down in it. In other words, what he is saying is, I have, I'm having my own way. And the Lord said unto Satan, Hast thou considered my servant Job, that there is none like him in all the earth, perfect and upright man, one that feareth God and eschewth evil? Then Satan answered the Lord and said, Does Job fear God for naught? Hast not thou made an hedge about him and about his house, about all that he hath on every side? Thou hast blessed the work of his hands, and his substance is increased in the land. But put forth now thine hand now, and touch all that he hath, and he will curse thee to thy face. And the Lord said unto Satan, Behold, all that he hath is in thy power, only upon himself put not forth thy hand. So Satan went forth from the presence of the Lord. There was a day when his sons and daughters were eating and drinking wine in their eldest brother's house, and there came a messenger unto Job and said, the oxen were plowing, the asses feeding beside them, and the Sabaeans fell upon them and took them away. Yea, they have slain the servants with the edge of the sword, and I only have escaped alone to tell thee. Well, that'd be a lot to talk about around the supper table, wouldn't it? My goodness. Wiped out all of the uh, servants, the edge of the sword that, that were there. While he was yet speaking, there came also another and said, The fire of God has fallen from heaven and hath burned up the sheep and the servants and consumed them, and I only am escaped alone to tell thee. While he was yet speaking, there came another and said, The Chaldeans made out three bands and fell upon the camels and have carried them away, yea, and slain the servants with the edge of the sword, and I only am escaped alone to tell thee. While he was yet speaking, there came also another and said, Thy sons and thy daughters were eating and drinking wine in their eldest brother's house. Behold, there came a great wind from the wilderness and smote the four corners of the house, and it fell upon the young men, and they are dead. 
I only am escaped alone to tell thee. Then Job arose and rent his mantle and shaved his head and fell down upon the ground and worshipped. I wonder what kind of day have you had? And said, Naked came I out of my mother's womb, and naked shall I return thither. The Lord gave, and the Lord hath taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. And all of this Job sinned not, nor charged God foolishly. I want to preach tonight on this subject, the broken experience of worship. Worship is a part of the lives of all of God's children, but we never know the circumstances in which we will have to worship. There seems to be two extremes in life in which it is hard to find worship. It is an extreme that Job experienced in the earlier verses in which the Bible said that he was the greatest man in all of the East. It is the extreme in which there seems to be too much. You've just got a whole lot. And you know as well as I do that it's hard to find folks who, are, who have a whole lot and yet desire to worship God. I didn't say it was impossible. I believe it happens. But certainly America is an example of that with the abundance that we have. We none worship like they did 100 years ago or 50 years ago when there was so little. We have so much until we're just not prone or given to, to coming to God with our needs. And so Job has so much, but yet he worships God with so much. He is able to worship God. That is a miracle within itself. He, is, he has so much, and yet he worships God. You know, James admonishes the rich. And Jesus talked about the rich as far as entering into the kingdom, how impossible it would be, so much so as it, it would equal up to the camel going through the eye of a needle, which indicates that, that when you've got so much, it's hard to get your mind on the Lord and to worship Him because of all the bounties and the little needs that you have, that all of us have. And certainly, as Americans, we are all rich here tonight compared to the rest of the world. It's hard to worship when there is so much. But Job did. I, uh, I don't know, I'm human. And I often wonder what it would be like to be a millionaire. <laughs> to have a lot of money. I had a fellow that used to work on my lawnmower and he uh, chewed tobacco and he's just an old mountaineer, you know, didn't have many teeth. And I was there one day and he said, Preacher, I'm going to tell you something. He said, I found out how to be a millionaire. That's the way he pronounced it. So I think I found out how to be a millionaire. I said, well, brothers, let, let, let me in on it. I'd sure like to know how. He said, well, the first thing you got to do is get a million dollars. I said, well, <laughs> I guess it's all downhill from there. It'd be pretty easy after that. But I don't know what it'd be like. But you know, God, you know, he knows who to entrust and who not when it comes to the multitudes of financial blessings as far as this world is concerned because of, uh, he realizes. You see, I am an, uh, am an evangelist. 
because he called me to do so. I have a heart to go into churches and to minister to people. But you know, if I had a million dollars, I, I don't know, I just might preach just one week a month. <laughs> and, you know, just kind of take it easy the rest of the time. <laughs> but I don't have a million, million, I don't have a million dollars, see? And, and there's two sides of this thing of uh, preaching, as Paul talked about it. Muzzle not the ox that treadeth out the corn. I not only preach because God has called me and he has placed it in my heart, but forgive me, I preach because, I'll tell you, if you folks didn't give me an offering, I'd starve to death. I've got no choice but to continue on. I, I can't take a month off. I had uh, some physical problems here a while back. The doctor said, you know, you're just going to... I said, look, doc. I mean, you know, I, you don't just stay at the house. All you folks that ain't rich and got an everyday job, you realize that. You don't just say, you know, my back hurt a little bit. I believe I'll just take a week off. You don't do that. But you see, God knows that uh, what he can trust us with and what he can't trust us with. And he knows how we will serve him according to what he has blessed us with. But he could bless Job with a whole lot and Job could yet worship him. And thank God for those that can have a whole lot and still worship him. But you see, that is the one extreme. But then he moves Job into the other extreme. He's had him in the one extreme in which the devil said, why anybody would praise you under these conditions? And so he lets the devil take Job into another extreme of where he has went from too much to too little. Now he has, went, he has moved from the wealthiest man in the east to the poorest man in the east. Everything that he has as far as this world's earthly goods and even his family has been abolished, has been destroyed all in one day. He gets the news that everything is gone in one day. And now he is below the poverty level. He has, he has nothing left. But in this extreme of having so little, he yet praises God and worships the Lord. Now, I want to point out to you three or four things concerning Job's broken experience of worship. Because I say unto you tonight, there will come those times in your life in which it seems as though that you're having to worship God in spite of what has transpired, that it seems to be so hard and so difficult to handle. But I would point out to you, first of all, when we think about the broken experience of worship that Job goes through, I would point out to you, I could not help but think of the scarcity of Job's broken experience of worship. Now, when I speak of the scarcity, I mean simply that we can consider in these earlier verses when the Scripture tells us of how blessed that Job was with all of his oxen and, and the, the great household and the camels and the sheep in verse number 3 and all of his children, uh, the seven sons and three daughters and then all of his servants. I don't know how many years that covered but I imagine it was a great span of time. 
But during all of these years, as Job worshipped God, as he, as he offered up the sacrifices, as verse number 5 said, do you know that the majority, almost all of the days of Job that he worshipped were good days? Good days of which now he has more sheep today than he had yesterday. He has more camels than he had yesterday. He has a, another son born into his family, or he has another daughter born into his family. It seems as though that, that every day is a day, so to speak, of the blessing of God, and every day is a day of sunshine when he needs it, and every day is a day of rain when he needs it. And the, just Job's life, as you can tell, is bountifully blessed by God Almighty. He's having one day after another, one year after another. He's just having an endless time of blessed times of worshiping God. I mean, how many mornings was Job able to bow on his face and say, Lord, thank you for this another great day. And he could mean it because it was a great day. And how many times did he bow at night and say, Lord, thank you that my sons and my daughters are well, and, and thank you for the increase we've had today, and thank you for all the food that was prepared at the table today, and, and just thank you for all the hours of worship. That we're, thank you for this day, Lord, that I, I am healthy. Many, 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 many days of blessed experiences of worship. And then we come across this day of a broken experience of worship. And I guess you would have to say in your life and in mine, I remember preaching a sermon in the first church I pastored, had an elderly lady there in her 80s, and I said that morning, I said, you know, it would do us well just to go home tonight and just begin to count our blessings. The next Sunday morning, she came down the aisle, never forget it, that cane, boom, boom, boom. And she come up to me, she said, I ought to whack you over the head this, with this cane, preacher. I said, why, Sister Laura? She said, well, you told us last Sunday to go home and count her blessings. She said, I laid there in the bed that night and started counting them, and I still awake at 3 o'clock in the morning. Well, it would be so in your life. How many days of your life has God blessed you and you know it was a blessed day and you have nothing really to complain about. There were no tragedies. There were no heartaches. There was no suffering. The majority of all of our days have been blessed days. Would you say amen? amen. Isn't it so in your life? Isn't it so in my life? The 99.9% of all the days that I have lived so far have been good, blessed days. Days. God doesn't always send thunder and clouds and sorrow and heartaches and pain and suffering. Most of our Christian experiences are blessed experiences. I'm talking about the scarcity of it. It doesn't just happen every day. And how we ought to thank God tonight. Thank God tonight. This has been a good day. This Sunday has been a perfect day for me in my life. We've had no tragic news. We've had no pains and sufferings to speak of. We had a great meal after the service this morning. We had a good service this morning. I mean, things have been blessed. I've got no news that my house is burned down. I mean, everything seems to be good. Matter of fact, my life has been so good, I almost feel guilty about it. But how we ought to stop and ponder this day instead of nitpicking with God over little 
things that mean nothing and praise him and worship him on the good days. Worship him on the good days. Is there anything you reckon you could thank him for today? The scarcity of the dark and, and, the, and the, the, the tragic and disastrous times. They are not many, thank God. They are not many. And how we ought to praise him because they are not many. I could not help but think in Job's broken experience of worship how scarce it was for him to come upon a day like this. His days had been great. But you know, secondly, I would point out to you, in Job's broken experience of worship, I could not help but think of the simplicity of it. Not only the scarcity of it, but the simplicity of it. In verses 14 down through verse 19, Job's world falls apart in almost minutes. All the things that he had accumulated over all of those years, was totally wiped out in a matter of no doubt hours. All of it on this day. And it was without pause, it was without, without lapse of time, without interval, no rest, just a constant, continual report of devastation, one right after another, and it kept getting worse and worse. Job sets the head. Have you often, have you ever contemplated, you know, uh, you think of the tragedies that you hear of in other folks' lives and, and the small amount and measure of, of uh, hardships that you went through, but you, have, you, have you ever considered? I, I've never met anyone that's went through what Job went through. Ten children, and me, that's, that's the epitome. That, 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 is, that is the real heartbreak here. I mean, of what he is going through. He has lost ten children on the same day. Uh, and everything else on uh, besides that. One right after another. It, it, it just and it keeps getting closer home. He, he has lost sheep, but he can he can handle that. He's he's lost oxen, he can handle that. He's lost Candle, he can handle that, but, it, but he's also lost a lot of lives in his servants, but he'll just have to put up with that. But then finally he gets the news that he's lost that little golden-headed dog. He's lost that handsome son. He, not just one, he, he has lost them all, just in a, in a wind, a whirlwind wind that blew across the house, caved it in. He's lost it all. And can you imagine the questions that arise? It does in your life when bad news comes, when heartache uh, strikes across your path. Don't you always just pause and say, well, what, what happened here? Why? We begin to try to figure these things out. And as we begin to try to figure them out, they become complex. And we become confused. And, and, and many times we begin to ask questions and we desire answers. And, and sometimes we even begin to bring forth accusations and, and retaliations. And, and the biggest thing is, is we say, well, now, now wait a minute. Why? I want to know why. And boy, Job, couldn't he ask a lot of questions here? Couldn't he say, well, you know, I'm trying to figure this out. I mean, I've not had any problem with the Sabaeans before. I mean, we've lived peacefully together. What has happened here that they have come in and done this to me? And then this fire 
fire coming out of heaven. Uh, I don't where, where would this fire come from? And these Chaldeans, uh, I mean, moving across into my territory and destroying so much. I don't, and then that windstorm all in one day, all the mighty questions that could arise in his heart as to why. And as he, uh, could you imagine if he had tried to figure all that out? <laughs> How hard it would have been. As he tried to search into the depths, and he could have, he could have sent someone and said, "Listen, uh, try to try to get a hold of some uh, uh, meteorologists or some scientists or somebody to find out what what all the elements that came together to cause fire to fall like that." Well, I mean, you know, we need to try to avoid that from here on out. And this storm, how come, how come we didn't get word of that on, on the news? Channel 3 never said nothing about a storm coming through here. And, and we never had one like that before. And, 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 and you know, our houses were not built for that. Well, what are we going to have to do to prepare for the next time? And see if you can get a peace treaty with those Sabians and find out what's wrong with the Chaldeans. Why, why did all this happen? He would have been as confused as a termite in a yo-yo as he tried to figure out the complexity of why things were happening in his life. Why am I sick? Why, why have I come down with this disease? Why, why are my children sick? Why, why did my house, why did I lose, why? We're all prone to it. But you know, the simplicity of Job's broken experience was in his worship. Instead of asking why, the scripture just simply says he worshiped the Lord. Because, you see, worship puts everything in the Lord's hand. Lord, you know why this storm came. You know why this fire fell. You know what happened with these Sabines. And you're in control of the Chaldeans. And, Lord, all of this is in your hand. Lord, I just want to come before you and say, I don't understand. And I don't know why. But, Lord, I want to trust you in all of this. You see, the truth of the matter is, if Job ever got to the bottom of why all this happened, he might have got mad at God. Because the reason why that all of this happened to Job was this, the bottom line. Job was too dedicated to the Lord. <laughs> is that, am I telling the truth? This is one time serving the Lord got him in a mess. He was committed to God, and, and so therefore the devil was turned loose on him to prove that he would stay committed unto God, and of course he did so. But the simplicity of the matter is, is that he just worshiped the Lord. Listen, folks, you can't figure out what's happening. You can't understand it all, but what you can do is come before God and worship him, the one that does know it all. The one that has it all figured out and knows why this happened and knows why these things come to pass. As we worship him, there comes this overwhelming peace in our heart that knows that God Almighty gives and God Almighty takes away and God Almighty has a plan for our individual lives and we're just going to worship him. We're just going to worship him. This is the simplicity of worship. Oh, it makes life so simple. Just to bring our burdens and our cares. Someone said, oh, listen, if you've got any troubles and cares and all the problems of this day, when you come to God's house, just leave them out there. Don't bring none of them in here. Well, I'm going to tell you, it's a far different cry from that. That's what God wants is for you to bring your heartaches and your cares to him because he's the one that knows all about them. 
And you bow before him and feel him taking up the load of what you're going through. And it makes it so simple to say, Lord, here am I. You figure this out. I can't. Now, in this broken experience of worship, not only do we see how it is scarce, the scarcity of it and the simplicity of it, but, you know, in Job's life, it seems that I noticed that I could not help but think of the supremacy of Job's broken experience of worship. Now, we're all impressed with Job. We could be impressed because of, of what the Scripture says about his wealth in verse number 3 again. We are certainly impressed with Job's life and, and what God said about him, that he was a man that was upright in verse 1 and feared God and eschewed evil and was perfect. I mean, we can be impressed with what, what God has said about Job. We certainly are impressed with his integrity. There's so much about Job's life that we are impressed with. But I dare say of all believers who have read the life of Job, the thing that moves you the most is what the Scripture says about him in his worship. Where the Scripture said in verse 19, and he fell down and worshiped, or in verse number uh, 20, he fell down, he worshiped God. It seems to be the same thing that is supreme and, and the thing that, uh, that sticks out most about him that is so highly impressive. You see, the thing that you can do for others that is, that is of, of most important value is not your, your living standard, not your wealth and, and all of those other things, but the fact that you, you worship God. This is the thing that sticks out most about Job. In his broken experience, at his lowest points, he worshiped God. And this we remember more than anything else. And can I say to you that the thing that has impacted my life about believers, and especially certain believers, is, are those believers who have faced the hardest issues of life and circumstances, but yet in the midst of their sorrow, they have worshiped God. And it has stood out to me. Brother James Carpenter, an old fellow back there in the mountains, passed away in his 80s. Uh, he was still able to see when I met him, but he became, uh, he went blind, totally blind. He had uh, heart dropsy uh, uh, and, and many other problems in his physical makeup. He had had cancer for like 16 years, and, and he came to the place that all he could do is, is uh, lay in a recline. And... Uh, I tell you, I'd go by to worship, I'd go by to visit with him, and he would worship God in that recliner. And I was so impressed, more so, I was more impressed with this man who could not walk and, and could not get around, but, uh, but he would worship God. I was more impressed with him than the best athlete I'd ever seen. Because he taught me something, that in the lowest points of your life, you could worship God. There is that strength. There is something in worship that is more important to you than anything else that you can have. Because we notice in, in Job's life that, that everything is broken. Everything is broken. But the only thing that is not broken is his worship of God. Because worship is the only thing that cannot be stolen. It cannot be killed. It cannot be destroyed. 
you when everything else is gone. And I tell you, the bank account is drained, and it seems as though the body is so weak, you can still worship God. It can still be the supreme thing that is in your life. The thing that motivates you, the thing that keeps you going is that you are able to worship. What a strength it is. I remember hearing Dr. Seitler, pastor, a great preacher, around Greenville, North South Carolina, uh, hearing about his story of his daughter being killed in a car accident by a drunk driver. She was 13 years old. At that point in time, I guess he was somewhere around 40, give or take a few years. And he said on that uh, Sunday morning after her death, he was sitting in his uh, living room and just didn't know what to do. It was time almost to go to church and he hadn't even gotten ready. It just seemed like he just didn't have the energy, the strength. He, just, he was just so burdened down with the loss of that daughter. He said a knock came at the door and he said, come in without getting up. He said an older gentleman came in, went over and sat down in a chair without speaking a word. And he sat there what seemed to be 15 or 20 more minutes and, and again never spoke a word. And so Dr. Seidler said, I just got a little upset because I expected he came to say something. And he said to him, what did you come for if you're not going to say anything? He said, well, Brother Harold, I heard this week about the tragedy in your life. He said, I thought I'd come by this morning because I just wanted to look and see a man that God would trust enough to turn the devil loose on. He said, the man just got up and the other said, never, never said another word and walked out. <laughs> he said, it's so stuck in my heart. I got up, put my clothes, my suit on, and went to the house of God and preached in spite of what had happened. You see, the strength of the believer is the fact that we know that God is in charge and we worship him in spite of those things. And, and it, it, is, it, is, it is what we need in the lowest hours when nothing else is left and all is gone. We feel and we realize we don't have to have anything of this world. We do not have to have possessions. We don't even have to have loved ones. We can worship God or not. <laughs> because everything about your life is going to change. Everything that we know anything about is going to weaken. In time, nothing will remain the same except our worship will grow stronger and stronger and stronger through every event. We, when the hour comes, for all of our friends who have known all those years are gone now. Even our mates have passed beyond the veil. And it seems as though our health is broken. And the only thing we can do now is turn everything we've got over into the hands of our children and someone else. There's one thing we'll never have to turn loose of. And it's our glorious worship of God. To be able to worship Him. Be able to worship Him. How many times have I had the dear little gray-headed saints say to me, 
My husband's gone, but I want you to know, thank you, the Lord is with you. And you can feel and sense that strength. But really, she retained the most important thing that would get her through. The presence of God. Job had something the devil couldn't touch. It's called worship. It's called worship. You know, so much so that when this thing is over, the thing that really stands out to me is, have you noticed how big a part the devil had in this? I mean, really, he's, he is the culprit behind the whole thing. I understand God gave him privilege to do so, but he is the culprit, and he'd do the same to you if he could. He'd do the same to you, and God will allow us to go through measures of these, of these uh, broken times to, so that we can understand that he's there, and we can't worship when the times are broken. But did you notice that if you read the rest of the book of Job from chapter 1 through chapter number 42, did you notice that no place in Job's speaking does he ever give reference to the devil? Isn't that amazing? One fellow said, you know, the devil may ride my back, but I'm not going to give him a saddle to ride it on. Job did what the devil hated. Instead of giving him all the praise and glory, and going around and saying, man, I'm telling you, the devil killed my young ones, the devil took my cattle, and the devil's messed my house up, and burned my farm down, even got my wife turned sideways, the devil... You know the devil's all upset when this thing's over with because he doesn't even give him credit. I mean, he's put that he could put into destroying this thing. But the one thing that kept this man that the devil never counted on was his worship of God. It came through good times and bad times and back to good times. It stayed and remained. And the devil pulling his hair out because he's waiting on this guy to break down and curse God. And instead of breaking down and cursing God, he bows down and worships God. <laughs> And can you see when the devil heads to the workshop and says, man, boys, ain't got a work cut out on this guy. He's got a little ingredient in him we haven't counted on. It's called worship. He gets along with God. He realizes the Lord's on the throne and senses his presence. And I can't hardly do nothing about that. You know, I thought about that. If you ever want to make anybody mad, no matter what they say to you, the best thing to do is just... Just act like they don't exist, like you didn't hear them. And boy, you talk about getting at them. That'll make them mad. And if you don't want to make the devil mad, don't come in here on Wednesday night dragging around saying, well, you know, the devil will do this. Pay him no mind. Give him no credit. Spite of all he does, just take time to worship God. And come into his house and say, ain't the Lord good. Job had this substance. I mean, this glue of his soul that was so supreme and, and so strong called worship. And when all the dust had settled and the smoke had cleared away, he was still worshiping God. We can worship him in the good times. And we can worship him in the bad times because he's still God. 
Our Father, we thank you for what our hearts have felt and experienced in our worship of thee in the good times. And then there have been a few times that we thought were bad, and I'm glad, Lord, that worship carried us through. As we felt to pray, we're able to lean on your breast and weep where you could wipe our tears. As you encouraged our souls and told us it's going to be all right. <laughs> Greater is he that is in he is in the world. You got what it takes. Just worship, don't worry. And you encourage us, Lord, to worship thee. May we find it simple. Just to say, Lord, blessed be thy name. I realize that there are probably those here today that have experienced far more than I could ever even comprehend. But I do believe that your presence will be sufficient for them also. Let them wait. In Jesus' name, for his sake, we pray. Daily favors.